Manifestation is the result of experiencing from a limited perspective the infinite possibilities that are available in the unbounded ocean of consciousness. So when we say you manifest something, in fact what you're doing is bringing to life something that's already there. And it is how your attention is able to see it. That's Dr. Tony Nader. Now, Dr. Nader is, he's an MD, a medical doctor. He's also a PhD who has been trained at Harvard and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, in neuroscience. And this episode is going to blow you away because if you've ever sort of had some sort of connection between the spiritual, the mystical side of your life, the strange everyday occurrences, uh, and, and you've been curious about the connection that that has to science, to the hardcore science that many of the leading hardcore scientists in the world, the fact that these worlds used to be thought of as wildly disparate and that they are now connecting ought to blow your mind. It blows my mind. And as someone who's often been um, sort of wrapped with the dualism, right? The what does science say about our reality and what does our experience say? What are the things we feel and believe? What are we taught? What do we feel um, experientially in our body? Those are coming together in a way that is very difficult for me to describe, but not difficult for Dr. Tony Nader. If this stuff, if manifesting, if the idea of visualization and your experience connected to how to how to change your position in life has ever been interesting to you. Dr. Tony Nader is maybe not the answer, but he is an amazing step toward you understanding more about this and how to cultivate all of it for your benefit. So I'm going to get out of the way. I hope you enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to spending more time with Dr. Tony when I, the next time uh, we're together, I have reserved a session to ask him many of my biggest questions in life. And that's what this episode is about. It's literally about how do we answer the biggest questions in life? If this is at all interesting to you, you are going to want to listen to this a couple of times. I'm going to get out of the way. Again, yours truly and Dr. Tony Nader. Hey there, important idea real quick. One of the most important mindset shifts to make in your life is from scarcity to abundance. It goes from being not possible or barely possible to highly possible, even highly probable, if you can shift your mindset. Whatever it is, whether that's it's music or fine art or filmmaking, building a business, nonprofit work, you can build a living, and more importantly, a life around that thing. Now, one of the most often overlooked aspects of success here, not to mention a life well-lived, is how to acquire these skills, the skills you need to pursue your dreams. And that's why, 10 years ago, I founded creativelive.com. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial learning, bar none. That's the reason I believe so deeply in it. This is where millions of people have already learned how to take action and affect their life for the better, to pursue their passions, to create the living and a life in the area that they would love to spend their time and their precious energy in this one life that we've got. Now, in addition to classes around photography, video, art, design, music, audio, there's also a bunch of stuff like health and wellness, yoga, mindfulness, meditation. 
If you've been listening to this show for any sort of duration, more than an episode or two, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I used to encourage you to buy a single class or try and transform one aspect of your life and all that was like 99 bucks per class. But now, good news, Creative Live is subscription first. So with one press of a button and one simple flat fee of 149 bucks or less, you can get access to 2,000 classes, right? That's basically 2,000 for the price of what used to be just one class for a whole year. That's thousands of hours of super high-end learning content from all of the experts that you know and love. All for one simple price. You can pay monthly or whatever works for you. Where to do that? Let's go to creativelive.com slash subscribe. All right, that about wraps it up. Now let's get back to the show. Dr. Tony Nader, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Very excited to have you here today. Wonderful to be with you. It's a great pleasure and joy to be with such a great artist and thinker. Well, that, those are very kind words, but you're the thinker and the artist. Uh, congratulations uh, on your book, uh, One Unbound Ocean of Consciousness. Uh, I would love to start off our conversation today for those who might not be familiar with your work to orient us a little bit around uh, how you spend your time, what you like to think about, and what your area of personal and professional study has been over the last several decades. <laughs> I've uh, been fascinated by human life and the potential that it offers, but also intrigued by the issues that arise from decisions on so many levels. And I wanted to understand why we do what we do and how we choose our steps in life. I started by studying medicine uh, with the assumption that we can, through understanding the physical level of reality, our body, our nervous system, we could really understand the totality of what we are about. And that's why I studied medicine and then psychiatry, then neurology, and then sought maybe to do some research myself in brain sciences. And so I did study brain and cognitive science, which means how the brain works to give us the feelings the impressions, the sensations that we have, which means exactly what happens in the electrical activity of the brain and the chemical activity of the brain, and how this leads to our mentation, our mind, our cognition, our perception, our creative thinking, and decision-making also, and why we choose what we choose and our life where it takes us. At the same time, I was lucky to start also from the other side, not only the physical level of biology and chemistry and chem the chemical physiology and anatomy, but from the mind side. And this is how I started already more than 50 years ago, almost, I was very young, uh, to study uh, meditation and yoga and transcending and I particularly got uh, fascinated by transcendental meditation and studied how it can help from the mind side. So we have the body and the mind. So I studied the body and I wanted to study the mind and got most, more and more fascinated by the mind aspect, thinking and feeling that actually it gives more holistic 
fulfillment and creativity and hopefully better choices. And so I studied this uh, in great depth and I was lucky to get called by the founder of this program, Harishi Mahesh Yogi, to India. Uh, it was in the 1990s. I had finished already 1989 uh, my PhD in brain and cognitive science and my medical uh, neurology uh, training. And I thought I'd spend some time uh, understanding the ancient traditions that have these techniques, these mind techniques, to make life better. And I got so fascinated and taken by that, that it became my life kind of uh, activity and focus. And so uh, I realized that consciousness is primary and is most important. Uh, than, and more important and more fundamental than the physical level. And now I spend my time trying to uh, let people know in which way consciousness uh, is primary, consciousness is important in life and living, and consciousness appearing actually as matter is the ultimate reality which philosophers and thinkers have been uh, proposing in some ways or looking for in other ways. And that's how uh, now I spend my time. <laughs> to, yeah, the, what you just shared with us, you know, you just, you mentioned, you know, 50 years of, of much of this work. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating, your journey originating, as you mentioned, through medicine. And then at some point there was, uh, it seemed, I'm wondering if it was a moment or was there a series of small moments where you recognized that going beyond traditional, I will call it traditional Western thought or traditional medicine uh, to something that was beyond the science of the mind to uh, what would be called, you know, maybe the spirit, wisdom, and ultimately consciousness. Now that's, for some, that's a small leap. Maybe the listeners are saying, oh yeah, that makes a ton of sense. But to me, it's you're parking a lot of um, uh, foundational, what it would be called common training in, in moving into a world of meditation, mindfulness, awareness, consciousness. Was that a series of small steps or was there a moment, an epiphany where you realized that if I'm going to really understand what it means to be human and to be able to make choices and to, to use my own vernacular for this community to create the life we want, that you're going to have to use some tools beyond the common understanding. Was, was that a small series of moments or was there one leap where you recognized that this was important work? Funnily enough, it was in a sense both because uh, <clears throat> before I started my medical studies, um, I learned transcending transcendental meditation and I got a very profound experience. So that already awakened in me the desire to have this experience again and that life, if it is lived on that level of fulfillment within, then there is something so profound and great. But at the same time, uh, one doubts. It's like one experience. You get an experience. You don't know how you'll get it again and whether the experience is enough, what would it give you in your life? Because experiences one can get from different perspectives, you know. You can imagine, uh, you know, hallucinogens or drugs or a moment of life that is beautiful, a moment of love, a moment of exchange, a moment of ecstasy. For example, like we hear from 
great artists such as you are and that think a moment you see something and it fills your mind and you feel this is grand and this is great but to give your life to that there has to be some more kind of solid objective understanding so you think maybe it's a passing thing or even if it recurs what will it do to my life? Will it make me a better person? Will it uh, make me help others? Will it make me my health better? Uh, will it will in, make my life and the life of others better? Is it just an ethereal kind of passing, nice feeling? Or is it something profound? So this was the flash, which in a sense made a big impact on me. But then I had to go through my path of belief that let's do something on the physical level, let's do the health part. The health. So I went through a lot uh, of training, medical training in the emergency room under different circumstances and the surgical room and different places. And I realized, well, maybe in psychiatry it can help others. And so I went to the mind like that and there were these steps where you can help others, but that phenomenon of well-being, of feeling good, with the betterment of health, the betterment of mental potential, the ability to concentrate, have better relation with others, was really getting to me as something really profound, not just a fleeting experience. And so I studied, went through my studies and gradually kept on thinking, what is this offering me? What can I offer through this versus what I can offer through that? And I felt that for myself and for others, going through the mind side, the consciousness side, seemed to me, and it's still now, <laughs> seems to be um, much more important and doesn't mean it uh, does not acknowledge the important value of all the other approaches uh, on their own level. But there are so many physicists, scientists, chemists, uh, philosophers, thinkers, um, physicians who take care of the other aspect that I felt there are few who are promoting or being able to uh, you know, give uh, their creativity or their background of knowledge and understanding to promote or make understandable the value of consciousness. Mm. And so I thought I should do that. This was my calling. And that's how, uh, based on conviction through different steps and on initial experience that continued to come back, uh, I came to the conclusion that this is how I should spend my life. <laughs> to say... Uh, I, what what I, I ought to do is mention the uh, the subtitle of the book. I mentioned One Unbound Ocean of Consciousness. The subhead, for those who are interested, is Simple Answers to the Big Questions in Life. And I love that after you're spending so much time studying medicine and recognizing that there must be more, your willingness to dedicate your life to to the broader understanding of this. And now, I would like to, uh, for purposes of orienting our listeners and watchers, and also because we've never met before, so I want to share a little bit of background with me, and maybe you can help me reconcile some of these big questions if you know just a little bit about my backstory. So um, I first experienced the power of the mind outside of um, just 
I guess I, I first experienced the power of the mind as a young athlete. I played on the Olympic development soccer team and we had uh, a mental training coach and they would guide us through meditation. And then I got interested in that through visualization and whatnot. And it, I would say almost overnight transformed my abilities on the field simply by playing in my mind and visualizing. So I would call, I would say I was hooked because I got incredible results just in, in using my mind. And there's a lot of experiments out there for those that don't know people shooting free throws and you can, the people who practiced for shooting free throws in basketball every day versus the people who practiced in their mind, the people who act, actually practiced in their mind improved more than the people who physically shot. So there's plenty of, of, of evidence of scientific evidence, if you will, about the benefits. I became intrigued. Fast forward, uh, I've lived a, uh, a life in, in career. I, I left sports, you know, professionally or semi-professionally and went in as many of us do into a career only to at some point find that there was a gap. I believed that there was, you know, more potential and, I was reminded of that experience as a young child and sought meditation. And the meditation that I found was transcendental meditation, the kind that you've talked already in our conversation today about. And I would call my, I, I did the training, um, not like you, I did not train under Maharishi himself, um, but uh, in the, the tm.org universe. And I was steamrolled. Within 10 days, I had felt another wave of transformation in my life. So I give you that context because I'm showing up here today now having been practicing somewhere between eight and 10 years uh, of TM. And I can't express in words how that vehicle has transformed my life because it, it's, it's thorough. It's omnidirectional. It's every aspect of my life. And so I'm hoping in an effort to get people to be in, in, to invest in you and your material, can you explain what these feelings that I'm experiencing in TM, in simple meditation, why they have had such a profound effect? What am I feeling that if I were to try and expose others who might not have begun meditation or be interested in your universe? What can you tell me about the experience that I'm having that it is so profound and why? It's a beautiful experience. I just want to tell you that really this is somehow what I have also experienced. And so it's very similar. And it is what makes us and those who are interested in this come back and want to say other to others, there is a treasure there. Uh, don't ignore it. Try it. Give it a chance. And if I want to answer in a sim very simple way, what is the experience? What is its reality? Why it gives such a sense? In the simplest few words, it will be you are experiencing your true self. And by experiencing one's true self and knowing in an experiential level, the profundity, the beauty, the grandeur, the fullness of one's own self, then one gets anchored on a field of being that is so profound that it gives a sense of security, of peace, of wholeness, because the self is truly ultimate reality. So when, when I say one unbounded ocean of consciousness, 
that is the ultimate self of everything and everyone. You know, the mind is like an ocean. And I'm sure you have been exposed to this analogy <laughs> when you learn TM. And we are usually on the surface of the mind, being tossed around by waves that come and go. And we don't have direct connection with the depths of the ocean, which is the depths of our true self. In transcendental meditation, when we close the eyes in the most innocent, simple, natural way, because it's effortless, it is natural, which means it goes by itself. You don't have to force it even. It's just a simple technique that doesn't depend on belief or philosophy or anything, whether you believe in it or not, and just do it and it works. When you close the eyes, you allow the mind to settle down through the technique that you have learned that is transcending, to settle down to its own depths. So it's like going from the surface of the ocean where the mind is jumping around from thought to thought, like the waves of thought, into a more stable source of creativity, the source of thought. And that source of thought, that source of creativity is the ultimate self. And established in that, there is then ability to be creative, ability to see things from a perspective that is profound rather than from a limited perspective. And that is why we all, hope, all those who practice feel something really, really deep is happening. And so this is in a few words, some of the way we can look at it. Yeah, there's a connectedness that uh, there's a dissipation of fear. There's a feeling of one, of whole, of ease that uh, the idea behind Transcendental Meditation was, that it was born from and that I, I've felt. And ironically, I, I felt that profound experience, the f I would call it the second time I ever meditated. And uh, that gets better with time, like anything. You know, with practice, we have... Um, we, we get better at something. And, and I believe that meditation is something that you can get better at. Uh, and yet here we are moving through life, uh, popular culture, people pull out in front of us and with, you know, in traffic and there's someone who's, you know, listening to this right now, who's on their commute and there's all kinds of stimulus or stimuli rather, you know, pouring into us. And, you know, your book is about answering the biggest questions. So we have to begin with, you know, the biggest is what is this, what does this all mean? Why are we here? What are we doing? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, what's the meaning of life? It's a big question. It's been questioned and asked for millennia from philosophers and scientists alike and belief systems and all of that. And the meaning of life is the growth in consciousness, according to you know, how I present it. And the growth of consciousness to the point where we realize the true reality, the ultimate reality of life. So uh, it fits together. The meaning of life is to realize the true meaning of life, to realize. So in a way, it's a tautology, which means you're saying the same thing. But then you have to say, what is then, what is the ultimate reality? What's ultimate reality? And ultimate reality has been 
looked at from physics, from the physicalist approach, which means the approach that assumes that everything is physical. And so the scientists, the philosophers, the thinkers have started to say, what is everything made of? And you say, well, it's matter. What is matter? Matter turns out to be energy. We know E equal mc squared, so that is behind us. So we know that. But if we dissect it, what is anything? You take an object and you say, what is it made of? And scientists kept going deeper. There is some chemistry there, something there. So what is the chemical made of? Molecules. What are the molecules made of? So we're going to the source of reality and then find molecules and they found that the molecules are made out of atoms and then what are the atoms? They are made out of more smaller particles, tinier and tinier Quarks particles. and neutrinos. <laughs> exactly, the neutrinos, the electrons, the positrons and all of that, the elementary particles. And when looking into the elementary particles, the scientists discovered fields, which means it's no more like billiard balls but actually fields of energy that fluctuate and give the impression of localization in time and space of a molecule or an atom that gives. So there were these force fields, these different fields, and as scientists kept going deeper, what are these fields? They are like electricity, magnetism, and gravity. These are what we call fields that act at a distance because they're not localized in space and time. And they are, this is why they call them a field. So uh, they looked at electricity and magnetism and they found that they are actually one field and now we call it the electromagnetic field. So there's not two fields, it's one field. And then they kept looking at the other forces of nature and they discovered that they are more and more unified. And today they are theories of a unified field that say that everything that we know, everything that there is, is a field of one reality called the unified field. And many of the greatest scientists of today, they are coming to the realization that it's a field of consciousness. So the ultimate reality from the objective perspective, meaning from analyzing the objects in a way that does not involve even the observer, the subject, comes to that reality. But that realization has also come from ancient knowledge uh, through many philosophers and, and the ancient Vedantic knowledge that says that there is one field that then appears as many. So when we are looking at the ultimate reality, we have two options. We can say it's either physical or it's mental, it's consciousness. And if you have the decision that it's physical, you come to certain conclusions and certain problems, how consciousness emerges, and then that leads to what they call today the heart problem of consciousness. How could this subjective inner feeling of uh, love and pain and beauty and whatever we experience personally, how does it come from just physical reality. And this heart problem of consciousness has not at all been solved in any logical way at all. There is not even a hint of a solution. So if you start from the physical, 
you get blocked. You have many yeah. problems to solve. Yeah. And besides, where does the physical come from? Now, there is one other way to do it and to start from consciousness. And if you start from consciousness, you have to be able to explain how the physical comes because we cannot deny that we are here, that we are talking, that there are cameras and that there are sounds and there are cars and tables and people and, and all of that. They are real. They are also real. So if consciousness is primary, how does the physical appear? And that is what I deal with in the book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness. Starting with my conviction, based on all my research and analysis and study of beliefs, of uh, physical objects, of physicality, of where science is going, my strong faith and belief and understanding is that consciousness is the ultimate reality. What is then the meaning of life in this context is just to be able to know that. And once you know that, and you know you are that, then you have the ultimate fulfillment, and that is the meaning of life. Life is a wonderful adventure that takes us through different steps of discovery until we know ourselves. The greatest wisdom that we know about is really ultimately know thyself, know who you are. And by knowing ourselves as being that ocean of consciousness, we have fulfillment. So my other answer to your question, which is beautifully came about your experience is the reason why you feel good, the reason why you feel intuitively satisfied and fulfilled when you transcend, which means when you go beyond the surface level of the ocean towards the depths of it, is that you are intuitively fulfilling the purpose of life, which is to know who you are and discover that you are the infinite ocean of being, the infinite ocean of consciousness that constructs the entire universe. And thou art that, you are that, everything is that. And when you look at all traditions of great knowledge, religions, philosophers, and all of that, you see they kept pointing into that, pointing towards that from different, different perspectives. You know, the Bible says we are created in the image of God. Humans are created in the image of God. Uh, in Christianity, it says, find the kingdom of heaven that is within you. And all of these great knowledge in Greece, Know Thyself, written in Delphi, on the, uh, and all the great teachings of Buddhism, and teachings even of all aspects of reality, and even actually science, science, science yes. is searching for the ultimate reality. Let's know who we are. Let's know what we are. And when you have a glimpse of that directly, spontaneously, you feel great because you know you are the universe on some level. It's not a pretense, it's not a mood making, it's a true deep experience of the ultimate reality. Mm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make an attempt to replay just a couple of highlights right there. And to, for, for anyone who's listening right now, their mind is probably hopefully being expanded and this is like, whoa, wait a minute. I want to be clear what you've talked about and your, your background in medicine, psychology, neuro, um, um, 
neurocognition, all, all of the the various areas of medicine that you study. This is all hardcore science. And what you're saying is that hardcore science is pointing at continuously as they uh, continue to uncover layer after layer from Newtonian physics to Einsteinian physics to relativity to quantum field. What, we, what we're excavating is ultimately a unified theory. And the unified theory either starts with matter or it starts with consciousness and matter. If you start ex excavating there, you run into some problems very quickly. But if you start with consciousness and you can realize that consciousness is the thing that's creating all of our experience, then that is it fair to say that that is the reason that we should spend time here, that the place to know thyself is through uh, going inward, going deep into the ocean, excavating our own head, heart, mind, soul, whatever you'd like to call it. Is that a reasonable summary of what you just shared? It's fantastic. It's beautiful. You said it in a wonderful way. And that's, that's the reality. And also, it's not that you go to yourself and then the rest doesn't matter. You actually, when you establish yourself within yourself, your creativity is more, your productivity is more, your health is better. Uh, your relation to others are better. And we have found even that when a number of people practice this program, that even crime in society reduces, accidents of the road re uh, reduce. And so this is a direct experience, experimental reality that have been repeated uh, and is now truly science-based, uh, evidence-based, published in uh, review journals that shows the connection between consciousness and our physical activity, what we call our physical activity and our material world. And so consciousness first gives you that inner fulfillment, inner knowing yourself, but it also translates in better playing in golf, better playing in tennis, uh, better you know, ability to see, better ability to comprehend, better relations with others, and better society. Okay, so I'm gonna now I'm gonna switch off. I'm gonna try and switch off my own personal experiences and the knowledge that I think I have acquired through years of study in this and reading your material, your most recent book again, One Unbound Ocean of Consciousness: Simple Answers to the Big Questions in Life. I'm gonna park all of that for a second. I'm gonna try and answer, ask some basic questions that I feel like would be generated from our audience if we were in a live studio audience. I feel like some of these questions might come up, and I want to. I want to ask you to answer them as if we were sitting in a, a, a television studio together. Is that okay? Beautiful. Okay. Let's do that. So uh, I'm in this community and I say, great. Well, so much of, you know, I've listened to Chase's show hundreds of episodes and there's many other influences I have in my life. And what I understand is that, you know, life, there's this deeper spiritual connection that we all have together. And, you know, um, you know, uh, Dr. Nader, maybe this is this unified theory you're talking about, but is this why, say, manifestation works? Because when I think of something or in different languages, if I pray or if I visualize or if I, I go in, that I have the experience of those things coming true in my life. So is this what you're talking about? This is also part of it. Yes, it's wonderful. The whole theory actually starts with, um, if you want to say how to understand all that, what is the connection with it? It starts with what would have been there before anything manifested. 
So we go back, let's say, in time before the Big Bang. You know, Big Bang is the history of our universe, started with a big explosion, and then there were fields and forces, and then they started to cool and, and expand and inflate, and then uh, the, the objects and everything appeared. So what was before that? What was before that? That's the big question. And what was before that, according to what I present in this paradigm, is consciousness, pure consciousness. Unmanifest, non-manifest, which means nothing about it is experienceable through the senses or touch or feeling or matter or energy. It has nothing like that. It's just pure existence of something we call consciousness. We call it consciousness because it is conscious. And it is conscious of itself. And being conscious of itself, and in the book I explain how it's conscious of itself in infinite number of ways, it actually imagines all possibilities. So the reality, as explained in this, is that you have a consciousness that has within it all possibilities at the same time, which means on a virtual level, which means not on a real level, on a virtual level, there is one consciousness that has an infinite number of possibilities. It means uh, Chase Jarvis is here, Jarvis Chase Tony is here, uh, everybody's here, and we are there at all levels of possibility. We are there young and old, big and small, we are there rich and poor, we are there married to our girlfriend of high school or to, you know, we are the king of the galaxy or the queen of the, <laughs> of the universe, you know. It's just in the same way as an author can, who wants to write a fictitious book and has great consciousness and great imagination can imagine any character that consciousness, which is much bigger than a limited consciousness, has the ability to imagine all aspects of possibilities. All possibilities that there is, is in its imagination. Now, it's only imagine. So before the author has the book real, it's just imagination of possibilities. So it knows all of these are imaginations but it doesn't know what it is like to be in the shoes of all these uh, actual uh, characters that are there. They include animals and trees and plants and uh, stones and mountains and countries and different countries. You can imagine anything, Apollo and Zeus and <laughs> whatever you want. Imagination, it's just imagination. Now what happens is, that in order to know, because the nature of this consciousness is to know itself, in order to be able to know in all possible ways, it limits its awareness and starts experiencing from a limited perspective. And that is a question of perspective. You as a great photographer, you know exactly what the perspective is and what you can look at from one angle or another. And if you choose the right perspective, you can produce beauty. If you can choose the wrong perspective, you can maybe get something not so special, just some kind of <laughs> usual. So it's the eye of the beholder that sees the beauty. And so that is perspective. Now, in order for this to be possible, 
and to have true experience, this unbounded ocean limits its perception and perspective onto specific values. So you have a big landscape, but what is there in the landscape? Some small part here, some small part. So focusing the attention fully on small parts, parts and pieces of the reality to see them on their own level. And that is how manifestation actually arises. There is a sequence of logic of how this happens and why it happens. But manifestation is the result of experiencing from a limited perspective the infinite possibilities that are available in the unbounded ocean of consciousness. So what we are all doing is experiencing these things. So when we say you manifest something, in fact, what you're doing is bringing to life something that's already there. And it is how your attention is able to see it. You know, as we can take the example of, uh, say, Michelangelo, who said that he looked at a stone and there is within the stone, there is the sculpture that he wanted to produce. There is the, the you know, the... the person that he wanted to, let's say David, wanted to produce the great David. And he said he would look at the stone and the David is there. All he needed to do is remove the parts that are hiding it, chip away the parts that are hiding the sculpture, and then the sculpture comes to life. So manifestation is more like this than actually creation. It's a revelation. It's actually a revelation. We reveal what is already there if our consciousness is wide enough. So all possibilities are there. And what do we reveal depends on our ability to see and our ability to bring out. So, uh, you know, you have a landscape, you have 10 photographers, one knows what to take the right angle. And that is, you're not creating the landscape you are bringing out those elements with this color, with this lighting, with this angle that actually makes it a uh, aha experience for others. That therefore is the reality in life. We just reveal, reveal something that others, maybe with their eyes, but they don't see that. And so it depends also on the observer. How profound is our consciousness? How aware we are, and that opens our eyes in terms of revealing objects of creativity or revealing, you know, discoveries about the laws of nature or phenomena that, you know, allow us to, to work better and be better, you know, create machines and create instruments that allow us to live a better life. Is it fair then a lot there's a saying that is i would call out of date and that that phrase is seeing is believing would it be fair then based on your scientific experience this is you as a scientist is it fair then to say that actually believing is seeing it is fair to say that yes to some extent you know, seeing is believing. We know that, uh, let's say, uh, you have a uh, ray of light. I, I usually take this example because it, it strikes. So you have 
um, a light of 700 nanometer wavelengths. Okay, it is light at 700 nanometer wavelengths. Uh, our nervous system, when it is exposed to that light through the eyes, if they are functioning normally, will say this is red, this is the color red, because that's the wavelengths of the light that humans recognize as red. Now, if one is colorblind, one will not see the red, it'll say it's gray, or it's a shade of gray, or something else. A photospectrometer that detects the wavelengths of light, it will not say it's, it's red or anything, it'll say 700 nanometers. So redness is a creation of a human nervous system. Uh, the outside reality is just two wavelengths of light. It could be X-ray, it could be infrared, it could be infrared, you wouldn't see it, you need another equipment to see it. Ultraviolet, you don't see it, but if you are in the range between red and, and violet, then you can see, and you can say colors, and you can see these things. So reality outside and reality as an impression are different. So in a sense, we can say redness doesn't exist in the universe, uh, but we see it as red. So it's a question of perspective. So it depends on the observer. That's why we say beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. The observer participates in the process of observing, but the observed, the object of observation also plays its role. So if it's a 900 nanometer or 400 nanometer, then you would be going more into the range of red or violet, uh, you know, if, if you go higher and lower like that in the different ranges of colors. So the object has its reality, but the subject plays a role in the experience. And that's why we call this I, I call it a, a bit of consciousness, bit from bits in, in you in know bytes, computer yeah. science Computers, and yeah. like that. A moment of experience. So every moment of experience that we have depends on three aspects. The observer, the process of observation, and the observed. You cannot ignore any one of those to say, uh, you know, this is what I see. So. If we say believing is seeing, okay, but what are you seeing? You know, you have to also depend on the object that is there. What can you see in the object? Yes, depends on your vision. If you are clear in your vision, you might see things that others don't see. You might experience things that others don't see. You know, somebody comes with a flower, beautiful flower, they give to the flower. Okay, there is the shape of the flower, the color of the flower. But somebody might say, oh, it has many thorns. <laughs> somebody might say, oh, it inspires me. It's a sign of love. Somebody might say, oh, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, to get me to do something for them. And that's why they're offering me flowers. Uh, or they want me to forgive them for what they have done. Uh, so it's the same flower. But what it creates in the individual is depending on the individual's predisposition, the individual consciousness, the individual ability to see and to see beyond. 
So if you are really in tune with yourself, you can really see then what the person actually wants rather than uh, or what the person who brings you the flowers intentions are rather than projecting your own uh, pre-prejudice or predisposition about the situation. So it's a mixture. There is a flower, but there is a perceiver also. And this is the combination and the relationship that creates the ultimate moment of experience or moment of perception. So I guess then our the work that we must do is to put ourselves as often as possible into this space, this existence, where we can see things as they truly are, where we can see ourselves and know ourselves. And in a roundabout way, now we're back at, this is why, uh, this is in many ways a product of the the tool that meditation is. In our case, we've talked about transcendental meditation. I'm wondering if, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what number would you uh, place on the value of this process of getting, whether through meditation or are there other ways that people can do this work and get into this space where they can perceive things in this, as we were talking about this, this beautiful way is transcendental meditation, the only way or on a, on a one to 10, you know, how much would you encourage this work? And then is there a specific kind of work that you would encourage? Well, I, I like to give meditation 10 over 10 <laughs> because uh, it's really, it brings us back to, I mean, there are other things that I, we can mention, of course, that are very important. But if we take the simple example, which you alluded to indirectly, if you have red glasses or yellow glasses, you will see the objects as red or yellow, depending on your glasses. And unfortunately, we see this a lot in the world today, where people wear their own glasses, and then they are sure that it's red. You know, you take a white paper and you say, what is the color of this? And they don't know, they forgot that they have their red glasses, and they tell you, well, it is red. And the other person says, no, it's yellow, because they have a yellow glasses. And then they are so sure it's red and the other is so sure it's yellow that they think the other is crazy and the other thinks the other is crazy. And if it's a fundamental problem, not just looking at a piece of paper, but a fundamental problem, they can fight. They might kill each other if it's something about society, about life and living. Religions so, or any, you can see how these things happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you see this. So what we need is to clean up our glasses. This is exactly what you're saying. Now, how our glasses get tainted so we do it and what we can do about it. Stress is a big problem. Stress and previous experience lead to impressions and prejudice. And it colors our glasses every time we expose ourselves to something it colors our glasses one way or the other. If it is exposure to something good and, and real, then our glasses are cleared up. If it's something stressful, a problem, unhealthy, unbalanced, then our prejudice, our glasses are tinted in a way that makes us see like this. So we have to be careful about everything. We have to be uh, exercising so the blood flow is going through our system properly and our health is there. We have to eat properly 
so that we don't eat the wrong foods that are disturbing to our physiology, what we put ourselves. We have to see the right things. We have to experience the beautiful things, you know. So why people like photography and painting and all of that? Because it exposes some harmony in nature, some beauty, whatever. It can be weird beauty. It can be a real, simple, coherent symmetry. It doesn't matter. There is some sense of harmony, of connectedness, of unifying value. And all that unifies and all that brings things together as harmonious, as holistic, enhances our ability to see. So all of this is beautiful. All of this is important. But if you see yourself directly, and the self is the unified field, the source of all that there is, then you're exposing yourself to the most fundamental experience that would allow you then to see from the clearest possible perspective. See, I often take the example of the elephant in a box, which everyone knows now. You have an elephant, it's in a box, you have never seen an elephant, you don't know what the elephant is, and they tell you, what is the elephant? You say, I don't know. You make a hole in the box and you see, maybe you fall on the skin, you can say, well, the elephant is a scaly kind of rough thing. Or you fall on the trunk or the, you know, or the tail or on the eye of the elephant uh, when you put your hole in the box from that angle. And you say the elephant is shiny, it's smooth, like this. So there are these different values. And if you make the wrong hole and you see the wrong thing, and then you have a different impression. So these are the impressions about reality that we get. They color our glasses from a certain way. And if we are able to see the elephant directly without the box, then we are seeing the true reality. And that brings us the fulfillment and fulfilling the goal of being able to be unbounded ocean of consciousness, to be one reality and to know that everyone else is also that. And that is what we call rising in consciousness to be able to see the unity of life, the harmony of life, the unity of existence, the unity of all of us, is uh, something that has very profound effects on our experience, but also on our health, on our well-being, and our relation to others, and on society as a whole, in creating literally world peace and harmony, because then we are acting from that unified level of existence, which is the ultimate reality. Otherwise, what we are doing is acting from small perspectives, from limited perspectives, from divisive perspectives, and there you have the potential for problems. Um, the second part of my question was, what work should we be doing? And we've spoken earlier in this conversation, and you write in great depth about meditation, and specifically transcendental meditation, but are there other practices that you would encourage uh, or is, is meditation the most direct? I mean, we can talk about the use of hallucin hallucinogens and while it's, it's radically rising in popularity, it's being decriminalized and even legalized. It's in stage three clinical trials, MDMA for PTSD, for example, there's all there, there's and many report being able to connect to such an experience. So our, are say hallucinogens a vehicle to get to experience the, that thing and then is meditation the only way to truly experience it on an ongoing 
you know, uh, sustainable, healthy way? Or are there other tools that you would suggest? I think the terms sustainable, healthy way are very profound and very important. And that is really a holistic, what we call a holistic approach of well-being, where you are going back to your own nature. So transcendental meditation is not trying to create something artificial in you. It is actually only bringing you back to yourself. And we already have within ourselves all the potential. So going back to the self is like going back home, going back to the source of everything. And then the effects are on all levels, health, productivity, release of stress, integration and ability to be creative in society and to, to help society grow. So this holistic benefit is very important. Now, other aspects, you know, one can think, one can get counseling, one can have introspection, contemplation, uh, you know, and all of these activities, even games or uh, watching uh, beautiful, uh, uh, you know, art or uh, getting to know knowledge, studying science and knowledge. All of these, of course, are very important in developing our full potential. Now, getting an experience in a way that is dramatic and bizarre, you know, such as hallucinogens, well, can be an experience, but over the long term, what is its effect on, uh, you know, addiction uh, and product? Where do where does it lead us in terms of dependency? And we have seen that the ultimate results are are can be very dangerous. So we have to be very careful. Uh, and while assessing and trying and playing is is okay to some level. But getting trapped into something that can lead us to problems and uh, inefficiency, inability to operate properly and uh, lose ourselves is not, of course, uh, a good solution over the long run. So that's why I gave 10 to transcendental meditation, <laughs> because it's, it's science-based, evidence-based. It's very simple, very natural and doesn't depend on belief or anything uh, and doesn't even depend on reading my book or not you just <laughs> practice it and and it works um i'll just a quick plug there it's tm.org if you're interested in transcendental meditation this is not aimed to be a tm plug for uh for but just again i'm i'm commenting on my personal experiences and and you know you uh dr tony that your you know life of studying this from a scientific and a medical perspective. And, and that is part of what I think is so fascinating. You, you get, you know, philosophers that you, many of whom you've named in this, in our conversation and you've got hardcore science and they're coming at the same problem from different angles and arriving largely at a very similar destination, this idea of consciousness. So I want to tell another, another little brief story and then uh, ask a question as a follow-up. So my, wife is a meditation and a mindfulness a teacher practitioner first and she, she would say that practitioner first and teacher second and she studied under most of the greats that you know have been alive in our lifetime people like ram das and others and uh, i am um i have become very enamored and come to understand the concept of awareness 
right? All we really have in life, right, is attention. What 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 are what do we play? We have we have a flashlight, and there's lots of things to point that flashlight at, and and all we really have is this flashlight. And say in in meditation in TM, what you try and put that light on is is nothing, right? Is this one unified experience? And and people are like, oh, how do you think about nothing? There are thoughts, and it's like a movie screen, and there's a movie playing, and you see things come in and go. Yes, you see those, but there are moments that we've all experienced the first three seconds after you close your eyes before you've thought of anything. That's nothingness, right? That's pure, pure consciousness. So is the goal of our attention, if we truly can place our attention, is our goal to to be attentive to just the concept of of being? Or and, and is it is it a, is it the experience of directing our attention throughout the day? We're going to choose to focus on the positive thing. We're going to choose to focus and see the beautiful things in life, to be grateful, to is it is that just our is that just gymnastics that we do? Are these just muscles that we're strengthening so that ultimately we can place our attention inward to this, you know, the depths of the ocean to use your ocean analogy. And if it's not that, please tell me what it is. <laughs> it is it is that in the sense of it is silence, it is pure being and it's transcendental, which means it's beyond uh, thoughts, beyond any activity of the mind. But how to reach it is very important. If you try to reach it by trying or forcing the mind, you get uh, into the difficulty. And many people will say, oh, it's not for me. My mind is uh, you know, uh, rushing in all direction. It's running in all ideas. I have the mind jumping from thought to thought and I cannot stand, keep my mind still. And so therefore, uh, trying like this on the surface, like try to still your mind, try to think of nothing, doesn't really uh, make it happen in a natural way. And therefore, that kind of glimpse of a little silence on the surface is possible. But what we're talking about is diving to the depths of the ocean. And diving to the depths of the ocean is a natural process. See, every one of us is looking for more and more in life, more and more of everything. We want more love, more beauty, more beautiful things to taste or to, the, the, you know, to see, to hear, to uh, more delicious things to taste. And we want more charm, we want more love, we want more even money, we want more power. And we are doing all of this through our senses, which project us to the outside and looking for more and more on the outside. Whereas if we come to our true understanding of the nature of life, the nature of ultimate reality, we have said it is this pure consciousness. It is this unified field from which and in which is all possibilities. All possibilities that can be ever present anywhere are coming from this field, which Modern science is glimpsing and understanding even from an objective level, which the ancient traditions tell us is there. And therefore, our desire to go for more and more and more can be directed inwards. This is what we do in transcendental meditation. We just use the nature of the mind to want to go to more and more 
but which usually does that by projecting outside. And now we say just take the inward direction and follow this simple process. And then the mind, guided by its own nature, dives towards its own self to know thyself, to know that you are that. And that happens completely naturally. You know, if the honeybee is buzzing around and you hear the buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and suddenly it's quiet, it's because it has found the nectar. And when it finds the nectar, it settles there. So to create silence, give it the nectar. Don't force it by, you know, saying stop buzzing, stop doing, stop your uh, going around. If you force it, it will be unhappy and it will not be there. Just give it the nectar and it goes to it naturally. So we give ourselves that chance of going to the infinite nectar of pure being, which has all the intelligence, all the power, all the energy that creates the entire universe. And then the mind wants to go there, guided by its own nature. So the, I want to answer that, that last question that I, it was a part of this very long question. It was multifaceted, so I apologize. It is all this other stuff that we're doing, all these, where we're placing our attention rather, even if we get really good at it, being grateful or feeling this moment, um, feeling the wind on our face and being aware of that. And when we are in traffic and someone cuts us off, recognize that it's not about this person being in front of me. It's about we're experiencing one precious moment in life and people who are on their deathbed have reported this over and over and over at, at infinitum just that what is beauty what, what is joy what is connection is just the experiencing of being alive so is is play yeah, is understanding where we're do, putting our attention are those just muscles and what we really want to be doing is sure that's helpful to develop those muscles but we want to be we want to through transcendental meditation work on letting our mind effortlessly go toward itself? It's, no, I mean, we have to live. Meditation, we do only 20 minutes morning and evening. And so in our daily activity, of course, we have to have some guidelines if we want. And that is a very important, this very important point. I'm sorry I didn't address it. As you said, it was a multifaceted question. <laughs> but the attention, attention is very important. We have a saying which is very important, and that is, Whatever you put your attention on grows stronger in your life. If you put your attention more and more on certain aspects, you know, play the piano, you put your attention on playing the piano, the brain, the nervous system, the interconnections between the brain change and they modified and they actually gradually build up the circuits that allow you to play more automatically and more naturally. So. Uh, if you also on the surface level, you are in a situation and um, there can be a threat, can be a problem, can be a situation uh, in the traffic or anything, what you will put your attention on will go stronger in your life. So if you put your attention on anger, anger will go stronger in your life. You put your attention on fighting and the problem of the other uh, you can have all of this problem kind of situation grow for your own self. It's not just for the other, but it's also important for the other. If you put your attention on, okay, this might be a person who is stressed, who is tense, who is late in their work, and you feel like compassion for them, 
that's of course a beautiful technique. So there are all of these behavioral suggestions and techniques that can be very important in our life. And of course, there are many teachers who give these directions and guidance and inspirations in that, in that reality. However, even in that situation, the more you are yourself rested, the more you are yourself established in yourself, the more naturally you will feel inclined to find the better solution because you get established in this field of inner kindness, inner peacefulness, inner intelligence that allows you to see the long-term benefit. And see, in our nervous system, we have the fight or flight response, which we have inherited from being in the jungle. And that is whenever we are exposed to a threat situation or unpleasant situation, the inner values, the old instincts come out and we are immediately wanting to fight or to run away, one or the other. So that is the flight or flight response, which is an adaptive response. Otherwise, in the jungle, if you are going to think about music and philosophy, <laughs> when the beast is there, you'll be devoured before you, <laughs> before you kind of think about philosophical stuff. So this will wake up. Unfortunately, in society, it wakes up with a loud noise or with somebody in the car, you know, uh, crossing around or doing the wrong thing. And that then the anger comes. And what happens is the upper part of the brain, which is more logical, which gives us better survival, better long-term effect, is a little bit shut down. And this is not, you know, just theory. This is, we know, through blood flow distribution to different parts of the brain, how it happens. Now, when transcendental meditation does, Again, I'm coming back to this because it's the phenomenon. It establishes you in the self, which means it establishes you in the higher value of your awareness. Not just the fight or flight instinctive animal response, but the fact of our humanity, our greater values of greater thinking, they're so well developed. As you say, muscle, yes, it does create coherence in the brain. And there are scientific studies that show that the distribution of electrical activity between the front and the back, the right and the left, become more coherent in people who practice transcendental meditation. And this is due to the opening of the reserves. And opening of the reserves means new connections are there, new chemical reactions, new chemical neurotransmitters and electrical activity, which means your upper brain becomes so solid that when you are under threat situation, automatically you will call upon that higher value and the blood is not shunted away to the animal aspect of our flight and, and uh, fight response, but it keeps you alert. So that's why we say spontaneously, naturally, you will be able to handle the situation with a broader perspective, with what we call situational awareness, ability to focus, yet to be aware of the broad situation and find solutions that are better for survival, better for interaction, and ultimately much better, of course, for yourself. Yeah, including performance. This is what you know. people like Michael Jordan talk about playing basketball and everything seems effortless and in slow motion, a universal, like usually you're aware of a thing like the flower or the car or the traffic or, you know, my grandmother or... But to be aware, almost aware with a capital A, 
that is what this feeling of the peak performers in any discipline have talked about. We feel these as flow states or is this it's harmony rather than, you know, focus on an attention on one thing. It's, it's everything. So beautiful. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, you know, this has been a consistent report of the people who are meditators that I've had on the show. And that is, um, you know, my friend Tim Ferriss wrote a book studying hundreds of people and of all the people that he studied that were peak performers, some form of meditation, mindfulness, awareness practice was the largest, I think was the first, the number one most powerful and common thread right behind or right ahead of something like people getting actual sleep and taking care of their body. So um, I think when we, you know, to, to, I want to read a couple of the chapter headings from your book, um, space and time, causality, human awareness, the speed and shift of attention, um, karma and constraints, mindfulness, yoga, uh, challenges and solutions. There is just, you have done an incredible job of making the science of mind and the, ex the human experience putting into a book. I don't know how you did it, but uh, it's absolutely brilliant in nature and makes me want to ask, uh, what else? You've captured all this beautifully in a book and again, highly recommended. It's very useful to go through. Um, your, your prologue is very um, powerful at laying out uh, this largely what we've been speaking about here, but now once we're aware of these, that, that the science, this is hardcore science and our, our experience, what we know, what we experience in our world where we've had these, you know, manifestations or, oh, I was just going to call someone and someone calls you and, you know, these profound stillness, quietness, connection, when, when these things are converging in largely the topic of your book, is all that is left for us to do once we are aware and understand some of these basic principles? This is what I want to communicate is you don't need to know everything. You just need to know this thing. Does, that, does our work then, or I, let me ask you the question, where does our work lie? Is our, where should we apply effort? Because this audience who are listening and watching right now, they are eager to experience what you've what you've shared with us today, where ought they begin? I think established in being, perform action. This is a great wisdom that comes also from the yogic tradition, the yoga tradition uh, of knowledge, and that is the ultimate uh, the ultimate wisdom, if you like. So there is two hundred percent of life, one hundred percent inner and one hundred percent outer. So established in the field of being, then we can perform with broad comprehension, yet ability to focus. And so we can enjoy what we're doing as a witness of it rather than be a football of situations and circumstances that is kicked around by situations from the outside. We get established in the infinite field of stability and strength, which is who we are. It's not something we have to create. It's something we have not been in touch with, but which is our true self. So we are almost foreign to ourself if we are not established in ourself. And then we are foreign to ourself. We are then 
you know, impressions of others and what they say, what we have heard about ourselves when we are young, or this told us that, and that teacher told us this, this parent or this friend told us that, and these things remain in us, and we kind of are, are starting to associate ourselves with these things which are not our true self. And therefore, we are acting based on those limitations of who we are, and what we need is to go back to the self, establish ourselves in that anchoring of life, and then we have the full field of possibilities available to us to enjoy, because the self is flat, absolute, silence, and then it enjoys living, it enjoys uh, participating in life, and the enjoyment will be much bigger when we are anchored in ourselves than being tossed around by the outer circumstances and depend on them. That is what leads to what we call equanimity. Equanimity in all situations, the sense of being equal, being peaceful. And this is something that does not get created only through understanding and intellect, but through direct experience of the inner self. I don't even know where to start besides by thanking you for all the work. I mean, you're the TM head of you know, over a hundred nations. Uh, your work at from Harvard to with the Maharishi, um, it, the span of your professional effort over the decades has is absolutely mind blowing. Thank you for approaching this work. Thank you for providing us with the, the book and all of your, your effort. Um, and, also your kindness and compassion. And, you know, I, I read a quote that's your, uh, where was it here? I made a note of it. Um, I want, this is a quote from you. I want everyone to know what consciousness is and how to develop it to enjoy the full potential of individual and social life. So I would like to just, uh, a debt of personal gratitude to you and the work that you've done. Thank you for helping us make sense of this very, profound experience that we call life. And uh, obviously, I have a lot of work to do. I don't know about the other folks listening and watching, but uh, very, very grateful to have you on the show. Is there, aside from the book, which again, I'll say the title, um, where we hear one unbounded ocean of consciousness, simple answers to the big questions in life, five-star average, uh, over hundreds and hundreds of reviews on Amazon. Um, again, thank you. Is there anywhere else besides the book that you, I guess I also referred people to tm.org. Is there anywhere else that you would steer our, speaking of attention, steer our attention for the watchers and listeners today? Uh, tm.org is a great place. I have a website myself if you want to check out what we are doing. We have some uh, podcasts that are happening like this. Uh, it's a beautiful one to be with you. It's so inspiring to see such a great artist and thinker. And uh, I feel very grateful to be with you and to have the opportunity to share some thoughts. Uh, there is my, my uh, website, drtonynader.com. And, uh, you know, all the YouTube podcasts and all of that, if you want to look at it from different perspectives. And uh, all the knowledge that life offers, enjoy it. And uh, we all continue to grow and make our society better. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We've all got lots of work to do uh, for everybody out there. Again, Dr. Tony Nader, N-A-D-E-R, 
tm.com. It's got a lot of material out there on the internet. This book is incredible. And of course, tm.org, of which I am a personal, I don't get any dollars for this. It's just uh, my experience of that, that meditation and specifically TM has brought to me as no, no less than transformational. So thank you again, doctor, for being a guest on the show. Grateful to have had you. And I look forward to our next conversation and to staying in touch. My great pleasure. All right. Until next time, everyone out there on the internet, in your ears, eyes, wherever you're taking this in, um, in one unified field, thank you so much for being with us. And until next time, from Dr. Tony and myself, we bid you adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show and or Chase Jarvis, Creative Live, any of that stuff on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. I want to take a second to say thank you. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing the show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Together.